Hey everyone, it's Kat Jones, your host. Today is January 17th, 2020. We are iced into our studio, and this is Queer All Year. Hey, what's up? It's Kat, and in case you didn't listen to our intro, this is Queer All Year, and today is January 17th. We've been told that we are about to die from the ice apocalypse, but last time we were told that, it kind of rained a little bit, and it was pretty nice. And I am also here with my sound producer and bro, Mick G. Let's get an ice cream cake! I do not think that's how ice cream cakes work, but I will look it up, I guess. Um, first things first, let's talk about Facebook, because that's a relevant topic these days, I'm told. So, we have a Facebook page, Queer All Year, where we would love to see you, and we also have a Facebook group called Queer All Year Fam, where we would also really love to see you. Um, we have Twitter and Instagram, Queer All Year Pod, on everything. We Anytime they invent a new social media, we'll, we'll snap that name up. If you snap that up before us, we will hunt you down. No, we won't. We'll hunt you down and hug you, or, or just provide you with love until you realize that we should have our handle, please. Okay. Um, so the best thing you can do for us is to subscribe. I'm sure you want to subscribe because you're listening to us, so you must like us, I think. And subscribing means that you get it downloaded as soon as it drops and you don't have to go out and check for new episodes all the time. If you share our podcast with others, then they get to learn more about queer history and listen to the strange things I say. And then if you and the person you share with can give us a five-star rating, if you so feel inclined, that, that would help us a lot. I've been told that on Apple Podcasts, the only thing that matters is a five-star review. And so, like I've said in the past, if you have a few, you know, constructive criticism notes to give us, and but you still have the moral fortitude to give us a five-star review and then give us the constructive criticism, you know, sometimes we can all be a little, you know, ethically ambiguous, maybe. I don't know. Don't, don't compromise your ethics, but give us a five-star review. So, that having been said, now that I've made you all unethical and, and morally corrupt and all that, let's talk about some stories. And I totally didn't mean to do this, but we're going to pretend I did mean to. Both of our stories today have to do with moral compasses. So, yeah, let's pretend I did that on purpose. Our first one is about Austin, Texas having a pretty cool moral compass in 1982 when there was a proposal to make an amendment to the Fair Housing Ordinance that would have made housing discrimination uh, based on sexual orientation legal. So, basically... They could be like, no, you're gay, you can't live here. So that's a huge human rights violation to begin with. But somehow that got on a ballot. According to an article in the New York Times from the same year, there was a surprisingly high voter turnout and the proposal was defeated by almost two to one. Now, I tried to look at historical voter turnout to just give you like a bigger idea of how many people actually turned out for this. 
but it really doesn't appear to be much higher unless you compare it to the voter turnout for every single Republican presidential and gubernatorial election turnout. And those are all consistently around like 4%. So you guys really do not want to go out and vote for Republican candidates, which is, you know, good for you. But it's the lowest turnout I have seen for anything, 4%. I mean, that's crazy. Um, So, Austin, you know, you have been historically regarded as a uniquely progressive and welcoming community with within a very intolerant and hostile state and I think having lived in Lawrence Kansas for a little while I identify with that (laughs) it's it's our little mecca the way Austin is Texas's little mecca for people like us um I don't know how I feel about the keep Austin weird thing guys it's it was pretty consumerist but you seem to like it but it I don't know Anyway, that's just how, that's my feelings for some reason. Any case, so the proposal was brought forth by the Austin Citizens for Decency, which you know can't be any good as indicated by the inclusion of the word decency. So quoting that same New York Times article, Dr. Stephen Holtz, the chairman of the Austin Citizens for Decency, said he was concerned about the moral climate of the city, adding... We organized to protect our children. He said his group wanted to keep Austin from becoming another San Francisco, referring to that city's sizable and political, active homosexual population. So here's the thing I'm going to say. Stop pretending you're worried about the kids. You are in complete control of molding your child's opinions and paying for their future psych bills when you've ruined their ability to cope with their feelings. You're not protecting your kids, and normally I'd say to do whatever helps you sleep at night, but no, you're actively trying to hurt an entire group of human beings and using your children as political pawns. You are saying, ew, icky, I don't want the gays living next to my kids, and then that light bulb pops up over your head, and you go, the kids, and then you hold your kid up like Simba and yell, it's because I don't want to spend that much time parenting this thing. Okay. So anyway, the leader of Citizens for United Austin, who is a coalition of, and this is the time speaking, homosexuals, blacks, Hispanic Americans, and labor and religious leaders who oppose the amendment, who is named Rob Sutherland, has a quote that I particularly like. This is not a purely homosexual issue, he said. It concerns all of us. Everyone has a sexual orientation. We don't believe in the legalized discrimination of one of people's most basic rights, housing. And that is the story of how Austin stayed ethical. And now, I'm going to bring us all down to a bummer. Sorry, but this is the bad ethical story of the day. So we are going to talk about Robert Eads. I believe it's pronounced Eads. That's how I looked it up. So Robert Eads was born assigned female in 1945. If you look him up on Google, you'll see that the majority of his life is boiled down to the phrase, whose life and death was the subject of the award-winning documentary Southern Comfort in 2001. Now, I don't know that anyone would have known his story without this documentary, and I don't know that anyone would really know much about how important his story is 
as a template for what happens to so many other people without this documentary. But I think a person's life isn't supposed to be boiled down to a sentence about how a documentary was made about them. So just a few tidbits about the documentary. It's considered one of the most important and influential film depictions of a transgender person uh, ever, really. Uh, because we see a normal man with a normal family, except maybe for what sounds like 800 roosters, who knows he's slowly dying of ovarian cancer. And I think that may shock some people who might go into it not knowing what it's about, because you absolutely really don't get thrown right into it. Like, you know, this person is transgender immediately. You know, it's lauded as being seen like this is a normal person this isn't this person isn't transgender this is a, a person who is transgender and this is the medical problem they have that the medical establishment refuses to deal with so you're seeing a person which is a very very rare thing when it comes to the depiction of transgender people in the media at all, especially in like a documentary or something. So Robert's life, um, he was forced to be, you know, female most of his life. He ended up married, uh, gave birth to two children. Uh, but after his second son was born, he just couldn't live that way anymore. And he decided to move and, and start living authentically. He started transitioning around the age of 40, um, and the doctors that he went to told him that a hysterectomy would be kind of risky, and he was starting to show symptoms of menopause anyway, so they didn't need to do any surgeries, really. And it was just something he kind of went along with, I think. I'm not really sure how he felt about it that much. Because in the documentary, he's, he's very, very uh, accepted. He, he accepts everything and doesn't nece necessarily forgive, but he accepts and understands things. And, and so it's, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes his, his views on some of the things. But what ended up happening is that he got ovarian cancer in 1996 and he searched for any doctor any medical facility to help him for over a year I believe it was 12 doctors turned him down and several said specifically that it was because it would be too embarrassing to help him and their other patients and I don't know any of the names of the doctors. I can't find them. But I hope they're embarrassed right now. They they should be embarrassed for refusing to help a human being and for refusing to listen to their first do no harm. Like, oh my gosh, what? Your patients are going to be embarrassed? You're going to be embarrassed? Oh no. Like, is that har that's harm to you or something? First, do no harm. I know it's not an actual law you have to live by but it's an ethical thing that I it blows my mind that any doctor would turn anyone away 
And I know it happens every day. I know it happens so often. And it still just blows my mind every time I hear about it. And it's unacceptable. And that's why the story of Robert Eads is so important. Because this is the story of my friends. And this is the story of your friends and your family members. This is the story of how transgender people are treated by the medical establishment. So... I definitely want to say that the medical facility that did end up taking him in and giving him help, what help he could get, was the Medical College of Georgia. He got in in 1997, but by that time, the cancer had spread and it was terminal and there was nothing they could do. And so the documentary chronicles the last year of his life and... and dealing with having been discriminated against and just I would really recommend going to watch it some of the things in it just like blew my mind just some some of the things that people said in it it was just like I, how have I never thought of that before so I would highly recommend it I also want to say that January is cervical cancer awareness month and it is very important that everyone with a cervix get a pap smear at least once a year. They say for some people every six months. The statistics for um, trans men having inaccurate pap smears are just astronomical. It's very important to make sure if you have a cervix, you get a pap smear, you get your cervix checked out just as much as possible because cervical cancer is so high in our community for reasons, just so many reasons that I'm not even going to go into. Just take care of yourselves, you know? If your doctor ever says anything that you don't agree with or that you feel demeans you or if they put you on medication and they don't listen to you if you say you don't like it or that you want to change it or something, you are in charge of your body. You are in charge of your life. That doctor can go jump off a cliff or something. They don't matter to you. You are the most important thing in the world. You are. And you are in charge of your medical health. And as a community, we need to empower each other to stand up and say, I am not going to be treated like this by the medical community. And we have some amazing doctors and nurses and, and medical professionals out there. There are great resources. I will post links to the best ones I know everywhere I can post them. I know people listening to us are amazing. Like, thank you so much for helping our community. There's just so few people willing to help us and knowing that there are people out there is part of moving forward I think and so with that I think I just want to say that part of making history together is making medical history and changing bad unethical things and we have to do that together and we are each very important in it you are very important as a person as a human being, as an advocate for yourself, 
and for others. And you are a huge part of history. You're important and we love you.